It's time for the car doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston, or maybe you're listening on 100.3 FM, maybe you're listening on the app, maybe you're listening on the stream, WROLradio.com, who knows where you're listening from, but uh, there are plenty of places to listen, uh, and of course you can find podcasts on my podcast site, which is johnfpaul.podbean, new, new location, com or iTunes or Spotify or TuneIn or any one of a number of places where you can find things and find radio program listings and all kinds of stuff. You can find us there. Uh, we got a good show planned for today. We're going to be talking with Tom Closer from uh, Opus, the Oil Price Information Service. And a little bit later on in the program, we're going to be talking to Alejandra Gonzalez. She is the product manager of remote services for Chevrolet. So we have a couple things going on. And with us on the phone right now is Tom Closer. Tom Closer is the dean of U.S. Uh, oil analysts, foremost expert on North American fuel markets, founder of the Oil Price Information Service, and has really good hair. Is that, Absolutely. Is, is that, that sort of sum it all up? That pretty much sums it all up. Uh, you know, that's you, particularly when you, you're on uh, TV a lot as, as the talking head with a full head of hair about uh, gas prices. There, there you go. There you go. Hey, um, gas prices, gas prices, we saw prices going down, especially here in the Northeast. Now we're starting to see them go up a little bit. Uh, before we know it, some of the snow will be melting and we'll be starting to, starting to look at summer travel. Uh, what's going on with uh, gas and oil prices these days? Well, it's a typical process that happens every year. I mean, you see very, very low demand in January and February for the most part. And uh, the gasoline that we use in the wintertime can have some ingredients that aren't uh, kosher, so to speak, when you get to the spring. So you definitely usually bottom in prices in December or January, and we've done that. And uh, now we're seeing crude oil, crude oil prices considerably higher. We're about... $67 for the world price and $57 for the U.S. price. So gas prices are going to continue to go up. Uh, I think in parts of the country where you've seen $2 or so, those, those will disappear. And uh, nationally, we'll be above $2.40 soon. And probably on our way to something similar to last year, but slightly lower. And uh, how you know, there, there's always kind of a little bit of controversy about where the U.S. sits in uh, production. You know, some people say we're you know we're producing more than half of the world's uh, oil and gasoline. What's the real What's the real numbers there? Well, I, I mean, the the president and uh, his cabinet they're using terms like energy dominance, and it, it is a proper term right now. Uh, now they neglect to mention that that energy dominance started at the beginning of the century and really gained steam uh, during the Obama administration. And it has nothing to do with politics. It has mm. to do with technology. We've added about 
two and a quarter million barrels a day of refining capacity this century. And mostly in the last uh, eight years, uh, we've added a tremendous amount of uh, crude oil production. We hit 12 million barrels a day of crude oil production this week, highest ever. And just to give you perspective, before the Arab Spring, it was about 5 million barrels a day. So uh, we like to talk of it in terms of the United States as the eagle, uh, Russia's the bear, and uh, Saudis are the camel. Uh, we've surpassed those animals, and we'll continue to surpass those as long as there's not a recession or a price collapse in uh, world crude. Now, years ago, there was talk about peak oil and how we were running out. Um, is there is there really any chance of that, or is just cheap oil kind of something that could possibly go away? No, I, I don't think there is a chance of it. I, I think now the the conversation has switched to peak demand. And there's a question as to whether peak demand uh, for the world for fossil fuels happens, let's say, in the decade of the 2030s or around 2040. But I think most people can recognize that, particularly for a lot of transportation fuels, uh, that uh, we're not going to move to natural gas or, you know, we're not going to move to different uh, gasoline formulas. Uh, that fossil fuels are going to be basically displaced to a great extent by electrons and electric vehicles. Battery prices are coming down. Uh, Some of the big major automobile manufacturers are uh, learning how to make uh, reasonable cars that run on electricity. It's not going to happen overnight. It's probably something that really gains steam between 2025 and 2035. Uh, but it's going to happen, and hmm. uh, there'll still be a big role in a lot of fossil fuel cars because people tend to keep their vehicles for about 11 years. But ultimately, uh, peak demand is more of the profit topic than peak oil. Yeah. Um, everything you touch during the day showed up on a truck. Most trucks run on diesel fuel. Diesel fuel seems to be kind of in its own little tier price-wise. Is, is there something going on with diesel that, regular people just don't know about? Well, in the wintertime, you know, the Northern Hemisphere had a somewhat cold winter. Uh, you know, that's an understatement. Obviously, if you lived in a place that was hit by the polar vortex. So it, it tended to tilt the prices higher. Diesel is so much cleaner than it was years ago. And it was actually pretty difficult to make because you have to remove all the 15 parts per million of sulfur. Um, what's going to happen in January 2020 could be a seminal event. Uh, what we're going we're gonna to see now, and, and this number is going to be staggering, but when you see a container vessel on the high seas, a big ship, they tend to emit as much sulfur right now as 10 to 15 million cars. They Yikes. use this gunky uh, number six oil or bunker fuel that has about 35,000 parts per million sulfur, again, compared to 15 parts per million for the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's going to get sliced to about uh, 5,000 parts per million in January 2020. And that means that a lot of the hydrocarbons that normally go into diesel for on-road or go into jet fuel or whatever are going to go into the marine market where it'll probably fetch a pretty good price. So next year is really a pivotal year for diesel. I mean, there's a possibility, not a probability, but a possibility that uh, we could see numbers like we saw back in 2007 and 2008 
when we were well above $4 a gallon. And that would impact every nook and cranny of the economy because, as you mentioned, uh, diesel is really the key product for freight. And that will raise freight costs. It will raise costs of pretty much everything that moves around the country or around the world uh, because it won't be diesel necessarily that will be burned as the new marine fuel, but that will be a much more expensive fuel. So it will cost more to uh, ship uh, goods from China to Long Beach, California, and so forth. Mm. And uh, here in the United States, we always hear about pipelines, and we hear about these giant pipelines that run from one end of the country to the other, or from you know north to south and east to west. Um, how much? How much? You know, when you when you look at that and you hear that there's a pipeline issue, is that really an issue, or is it? Or are there backups? Are there provisions to be able to handle problems? How does that? How does that work? Well, the United States, I mean, 10 years ago, uh, a friend of mine turned the uh, uh, term or came up with the term petrosclerosis because there weren't enough pipelines and, you know, some of the pipelines were old and in need of repair. That's largely been solved uh, simply because there's been so much product, whether it be crude oil or refined products that have been moving around the continent. Um, and we're building pipelines like crazy that take oil from these interior places like the Permian Basin, western uh, Texas, where the shale oil is coming on and moving it to the coast. You know, you need to get the fuel to the tidal waters for the world market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're actually in pretty good shape. It's Canada uh, that needs uh, some pipelines tidal water. Uh, the, the keystone is sort of stuck in some sort of suspended animation with, you know, it's become, it, folks remember the uh, the movie Mr. Roberts where there was a potted plant that mm-hmm. became kind of big, a big point of contention. That's sort of what's happened with the Keystone Pipeline. I think it can be done safely and move Canadian oil, you know, down to the U.S. Gulf Coast or to tidal water. Uh, but it's, it become a point of political contention. And then in Canada, uh, you've got the Native uh, American uh, tribes up there that uh, are trying to uh, stop the pipeline that would move from Alberta, uh, where there's tremendous oil reserves, to the Pacific Ocean. And so you've got a couple of stalemates there that have a lot to do with world oil prices right now. Mm. I, I know I was talking to somebody who... Uh, a, a native of Alaska, and he keeps thanking me whenever I run into him once or twice throughout the year about the pipelines and the oil and his uh, and his free medical service because of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, Alaska Alaska is an interesting uh, subject. When I was in college, <clears throat> and this is unfortunately uh, giving away my age. There were two big projects that were undergoing that you could work on for summer jobs. One was the Alaska pipeline. The other one was uh, uh, the Washington, D.C. Metro. And uh, that Alaska pipeline used to pump about 2 million barrels a day from the North Slope. It's down to about 500,000 barrels a day, but we're starting to see some companies come in with the new technology, and they'll probably develop some new fields up there near the North Slope so that uh, there'll be more oil coming down from Alaska uh, shortly. Uh, shortly, meaning, you know, in three to five years. Yeah. Is it is the the number did the number go down because it was harder to get or it just wasn't needed as much or it was too expensive? 
Oh, it went down because the um, the oil was depleted. I oh, mean, okay. Prudhoe Bay was the big find up there, and uh, you know these reservoirs do have points where it's much more difficult to extract the oil. Uh, as I say, there are some. There's additional real estate there. There's a lot of real estate in uh, uh, northern Alaska, and there's additional real estate where there probably be some pretty vast traditional reserves, not shale, mm-hmm. and that'll uh, that'll come down and it'll probably come down and, and uh, make quite a bit of money for the big exploration companies that are up there. And every once in a while on the news, you still hear the term oil sands. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember years back, somebody some somebody said, well, oil sands, it really doesn't make any sense unless oil hits uh, like $21 a barrel. Um, and that was years, that was years back. Um, is is uh, are, are most of the Canadian oil is that mostly from oil sands? Yeah, it is mostly from the oil sands, and uh, you know they've improved the technology there. Really, you know, if you look at the technology that's improved, you know, hopefully your life that's on a desktop or on your phone, uh, it has uh, you know lowered the cost of finding oil all over the world. You might remember back in the 70s when they were looking for gas and oil off the, 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 the New Jersey coast and even New England, and they had a lot of dry holes. You don't hear about that anymore. Mm. I mean, the, the technology for the geology is pretty good. And uh, the other thing is, is close to being cut. I, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Maybe five years ago when we were bringing the first oil shell to market, uh, and the price was about $100 worldwide for oil, uh, you know, they, they were struggling to make a profit on that. Mm. Companies can make more right now at $50 because they've learned all the best practices of extracting the shale uh, oil, and um, they can make more at $50 than they could at $100 five years ago. It, there's a point where that cost won't be driven down much lower. I mean, you've got truck drivers in, in Texas yep. that are making $125,000, $150,000 a year. But uh, technology is uh, lowering the cost. And and you've used the term, and, and I'm, frankly, I've stolen it a couple times. You know, you get the further you get away from the wellheads, the lower the profit tends to be at certain times of the year. Is it is it um, – is it a good time to like drill for oil in my backyard, or is it a better time to open a gas station? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question right now, because 2018 was the best year for gasoline retailing on record. And for one reason or another, private equity, uh, foreign companies are looking to buy chains of gas stations in the United States. If you look at the profit that you make on gasoline, it's a pretty tiny percentage mm. profit of five or six cents, excuse uh, me, five or six percent. Uh, but the numbers have gone up to maybe 18 or 20 cents a gallon. That's a lot less than most people think that a station makes. But, you know, the business model has changed. Gasoline is kind of the loss leader, or, you know, the competitive product, the, the carrot that gets people inside the store where they buy the very high-profit items like the food service, the soft drinks, or the caffeinated jerky beef. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've always said it's easier to get, uh, you know, to buy buy a hot dog or a taco in a gas station than it is to get the air in your tires checked. So, 
I, it is, and uh, you know, I'm not fond of the way you have to pay for the uh, uh, the air these days, and how a lot of times uh, it doesn't work very well. Yeah, there was there was time that um, uh, oil was going to be replaced by natural gas, and fracking was the word that we heard all over the place, and it, it sort of seems like that's calmed down a little bit. Is natural gas still a real key element in uh, making? electricity as opposed to using coal and oil and is um have they figured out fracking it or is it still just a weird well fracking fracking has has really sort of gone through the roof and 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 become much more sophisticated and you know it it also takes place in very very rural areas Mm -hmm. i mean if you were fracking in staten island you'd have a problem but when you're fracking in uh west texas and eastern new mexico uh you know with the tumbleweeds it's not that big of a deal. Natural gas uh, is still very competitive. We still have, you know, multiple hundreds of years of supply. But I don't think it's going to replace, uh, it's not going to be the product that replaces uh, gasoline for transportation. Right. I, I think ultimately that'll be electricity. But natural gas is clearly displaced coal, you know, for all the power plants. And, uh, you know, we're having an explosion in the ability to, uh, put together liquefied natural gas and and uh, uh, export that to all corners of the globe. The United States is really, and people don't realize this in the last uh, 12 years, in terms of energy and you know energy dominance, it's because we are a privileged con- continent. You know, thanks in part to entrepreneurism and utilities and great infrastructure, uh, we've been able to exploit these natural resources, whether it be crude oil whether it be complex refining, uh, or, you know, or natural yeah. gas, and uh, have found these vast, vast basins that put us at a huge advantage to what, let's say, the Europeans pay or what the Asians pay. We're at a disadvantage to, let's say, the Middle East and the Persian Gulf. Uh, when I was talking about, you know, the shale oil uh, costs can be as low as like $20 a barrel. Well, you can find oil in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and places like that for mm. just a few dollars per barrel. So, uh, but uh, you know, we're way, way, way ahead in terms of technology yep. and uh, have a lot of oil on hand. We're talking with Tom Closer. He's the uh, dean of uh, U.S. oil analysts, and you're in Southwest Florida. And I think the Yankees and the Red Sox are playing today. Uh, they any, are playing. Today. Any, any yeah. predictions? Uh, yeah, my prediction is there'll be a lot of guys with numbers that no one will recognize, <laughs> and they'll play about three innings. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so you, so you think everybody, everybody's just down there uh, enjoying enjoying the Florida sunshine, and they're not really going to work well, too hard in today's know, game. It, it, it's been in the eighties. If anything, it's a little bit too warm. So I think they're they're happy to be here. I actually have some players in my neighborhood. And uh, I hope they do well. I'm, I'm a big fan of baseball in general. There you go. Hey, Tom, thanks for taking time out of your Saturday morning and joining us up here in Boston. Okay. And go Yankees. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Take care. All right. Thanks. Take care. Uh, that was Tom Closer. He is the uh, dean of U.S. oil analyst and foremost expert on North American fuel markets and founder of the Oil Price Information Service. And uh, I, t- uh, I use his information on a regular basis when I'm trying to put together numbers. Uh, next up, we have uh, Alejandra Gonzalez. She's the product manager from Roach Services with Chevrolet. And uh, the My Chevrolet mobile app 
has some new features that uh, everybody who has uh, kids or parents that are worried about where they're driving around, it sounds like this um, new app, this My Chevrolet mobile app, might make life a little bit easier. Alejandra, good morning and welcome to Boston. Good morning. So there's a new there's a new Chevrolet app um, that uh, uh, it really sounds like it's uh, incorporated uh, quite a few features. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so that we have new features for the so it's the same My Chevy app that our customers have been using, mm-hmm. but we've added a new feature called Vehicle Locate that allows them to pinpoint the location of their car, and it also allows them to set up notifications to let them know when the car arrives or departs from a location that's important to them. Let's say they're a teenager's school or their spouse's office um, and receive those notifications automatically. So they're not counting on that person to text them when they arrive or they leave. So I, I work with a woman who has a teenage son and if she had to rely on him letting her know when he got to work or got to school, she would never know. Exactly. <laughs> but with Vehicle Locate, she could set up uh, work and school as locations. And when the car arrived at those locations, she would automatically get that text. And so, I mean, we kind of think of this for teens, but I also live next to a woman who's 82 or 83 years old. And her son has the same concerns because she goes to Cape Cod periodically in the summertime. And he's always worried about, is she going to be able to get there and do it safely? And did she arrive? And did, you know, did something happen? Did she get lost on the way? Who knows what the case is? So this is not just a teenage app. This could be an app uh, useful for uh, um, aging parents as well, right? Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's a use case that we hear a lot from our customers. And um, that's part of the reason why we have that, that big boundary. You can draw a boundary up to a 20 mile radius. So for example, if your neighbor's son was concerned that, um, that his mom was, was good to drive to the grocery store and stay in the neighborhood. Um, but if she left Boston, that might be something he would want to know. Um, he could draw that boundary bigger and he would be alerted when she did. And and the important part of this is that both of them would know that was going on. So it aids in that communication and, and creates that feeling of safety for both of them. Mm. And this is not, uh, this is not an app or a service that's available only to 2019 model cars. This goes back um, to 2012, right? Back to 2012. Um, the vehicle already came equipped with what we need to, to get the data back, then it's a matter of downloading the My Chevrolet app and having a plan that includes vehicle locate as a feature. Now, is this is what's the what's the sort of technology behind this? Is it is it OnStar behind this, or is it something that the vehicle has its own IP address? What's the kind of backbone behind the the system? So it, it's ultimately the OnStar hardware that um, that sends back the, that collects the information and, and sends it back to us. Uh, to generate the alert. So it, so it is really sort of a two-way communication between the car and uh, and ultimately you, the end user, who's who's looking at the app. Yes, yes. That's why we view it, you know, primarily as a communication tool. It's a, it's a back and forth. Hmm. No, it's a, it sounds it sounds interesting. Again, if people want to get more information about this, and especially if they have maybe they have a you know a twenty fifteen. Uh, you know, Chevrolet Traverse or something, and they want to get more information about it. Is there a, is there a website they can go to, or uh, how how do they find out more information and see if their car is a eligible for it, and uh, and the the pricing structure that goes goes along with it? 
So the best option is to go to Chevrolet.com, and they'll find all the information they need there. Simple enough. So Chevrolet.com, you can find the information, and you can learn a little bit more about it and, and find out more about the My Chevrolet mobile app. Absolutely. Alejandra, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday and joining us up here in Boston. Thank you very much. You have a good weekend. You as well. Bye-bye now. 617-770-3030-617-770-3030 is our number. Why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, I want to talk about the car that got me around uh, part of the last week or so, and that was the Toyota Avalon Hybrid, uh, kind of an interesting car. And, of course, we want to hear from you at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. And if you want some tickets to the AAA Travel Marketplace, uh, email me. Dennis is shaking his head. Oh, you can call and talk to Dennis. So 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us about cars, car problems, or anything that's on your mind. We're here for you. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program and AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. I want to thank uh, Tom Closer for spending some time with us, um, even if he is a Yankees fan. Eh, you know, one of those things. You know, it, well, it's funny, working at the AAA in Rhode Island, I work with a lot of people that are Yankees fans. And I never really knew why. I asked the question one day, so why are there so many Yankees fans in Rhode Island? And it was back, it was the old timers who, you know, Rhode Island had a big Italian population. And the Yankees back then had a big, a lot of their players were Italian. So they supported the Italian team. And, you know, they, you know their the grandparents, you know, got the parents, got the kids all... You know, they became Yankees fans. So, and it sounds like more is going to probably become Yankees fans when the Paw Sox leave in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the Woo Sox. Yeah, the Woo Sox. Yeah. So, um, but you know, again, that's about uh, you, you've you've heard about all I know about sports right now. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I there's stuff I know about and stuff I absolutely don't know about and. That's why we were talking earlier about listening to the radio, and and I do actually wake up to the radio in the morning so I can hear the news and sports scores and weather. So when I get to work, I have some ability to have a conversation with people about, oh, did you, you know, did you hear the Bruins lost last night or something? You know, kind of water cooler talk, even if we don't actually have a water cooler. I want to talk about the car that got me around uh, last week. That was the 2019 Toyota Avalon. When it comes to vehicles that can seat five adults, most people think of SUVs. 
sometimes minivans, but not sedans. One sedan that can accomplish this and is also economical to operate is the Toyota Avalon Hybrid. The front-wheel drive Avalon is Toyota's full-size sedan. It comes in seven trim levels, three of which are hybrids. Non-hybrid Avalons are actually kind of hot rods. They're powered by a 301-horsepower V6 engine. I remember the first luxury car, I guess, that I drove that had 300 horsepower was a Cadillac Eldorado. And that was that was amazing that it had 300 horsepower. Now you're putting 300 horsepower in essentially a family car. Uh, the subject of our road test is the Avalon Hybrid XSE model. It's powered by a four-cylinder engine and two electric motors. Makes it combined 215 horsepower. The Avalon has changed over the years. Now longer, wider, and handles better. What hasn't changed is the ride and comfort of this full-size sedan. I used to joke, joke, and I guess I wasn't the only one who probably coined the expression, that when Toyota built the Avalon, they sort of built a Buick. And I think I actually called it the Park Avalon at the time because it was uh, it reminded me of a Buick Park Ave. Um, well, the Buick Park Ave has gone away, but the Avalon still stayed here. And um, although the Avalon will never be confused with a high-performance sedan like a BMW M5, it still handles quite well. And with only 100 and with only 215 horsepower on tap, some people may think the Avalon would be lacking performance. But the electric motors provide instant torque, and the Avalon feels. Uh, Pretty sprightly, a word I don't use very often, sprightly. Uh, even under hard acceleration, drivetrain is quite muted and never really intrudes into the quiet cabin. I would place the Avalon as one of the quietest cars that I've tested fuel economy during my road test. Average day, I said in my review here, very respectable. 41 miles per gallon is ridiculously good for a big four-door car. Visibility all around is very good, and Toyota added their suite of safety features such as lane departure warning, automatic emergency braking, and blind spot warning. Um, sometimes the first thing I want to do when I drive a car with all this technology is figure out how to shut it off. Um, this actually worked pretty well. The interior of our XSE trim level Avalon is very well appointed with a nice mix of uh, soft touch plastics, leather, and metallic trim. The front seats are comfortable and fairly supported, although I would have liked to have seen a bit longer lower seat cushion. And I think that's just me. I find that fault on a lot of cars. The wide center console doesn't take away from the overall spacious feel. Uh, the controls are simple and easy to operate, and uh, there's a large infotainment screen like a lot of cars today. Uh, the, uh, this year, the Avalon also gets Apple CarPlay, which allows Apple iPhone users to uh, add all their smartphone features to the display. Uh, this was handy as this, uh, this Avalon that was, again, pretty well equipped didn't have navigation. It had a button that said map, and you push the button, and it said, I don't think so. We don't have it in this model. Um, so the Apple CarPlay easily remedied that. In fact, I was talking with someone the other day who said, I still really like listening to AM radio, but it seems as if, you know, cars today just don't get AM very well. And I said, you know, one way around that is to either have upgrade your sound system or just use your phone. And uh, the other day I was listening to this station, but it was late at night. I was coming home and... Uh, I was pretty far away, and uh, normally it wouldn't come in very good. I clicked on my phone, and boom, off, perfectly clear, sounded great. So, uh, you know, there's that technology that helps. There's plenty of bins for storage, decent cup holder and power ports for all the electronic accessories. Climate control utilized a dual-zone system, and heated seats were nice on cold mornings. The rear seating can easily accommodate three adults with plenty of head and leg room. 
the fold-down center console added to the rear seat luxury feel. So you put down this big center console, and it feels uh, like you're sitting in a little bit of, got that little bit of a limo feel. The trunk's generous at 16 cubic feet. The Avalon by Toyota manages to combine a comfortable ride, good handling, reasonable performance, and great fuel economy in one package. The Avalon also manages all of these qualities in a pretty attractive price. The base price, uh, $35,500. Um, EPA says 43 city, 43 highway. Again, I, I did uh, right around 41 overall, which I consider pretty good. This is a real long-distance cruiser, too. This is a car that can get about 500 miles per tank of fuel. So if you were heading to see Joe Ligotti's father in Florida, for instance, or go see the, the Red Sox at spring training, you could do it with uh, three tanks of gas, which is not bad, which is not bad at all, actually. So you don't have to stop a whole heck of a lot. So that's the review for today, 2019 Toyota Avalon. Uh, it should show up in AAA's publication at some point as well. So, Our phone. Sorry. Sorry. All right. All right. <laughs> Speaking of traveling in a car and driving long distances, how? what is the maximum amount of continuous driving time you would say is safe for a person to drive? You should take a break about every two hours. Just kind of take a break, get out, stretch. Kind of does your body some good to do that. And you probably shouldn't try to travel more than between four and 500 miles at a time. So average on average really doesn't make any difference how fast you go, it seems like. But on average, you you cover about 50 miles an hour. So you go, well, how can that be? If I'm driving 75 miles an hour, how come I'm only going 50 miles? That's about on average, you know, by the time you speed up, slow down, get off, get back on. So if you're traveling four to 500 miles per day, that's generally enough. I mean, you think of it as a full-time job. So, you know, at the end of working all day, you're tired. So at the end of driving all day, well, you're tired. So, you know, taking taking that break a little bit, again, you know, get up, walk around, get hydrated, you know, do whatever you need to do every couple of hours is not a bad idea. The people who do things like, and you hear it, school vacation week, Oh, I took the kids to Florida. We drove straight through 24 hours or however long. And uh, then we then we were exhausted for two days afterwards. And then we went to Disney for a day and a half. And then we drove home in a day. And then we're exhausted when we go back to work. It doesn't make any sense. And when you're that sleep deprived, when you have gone 20 or more hours without sleep, you're like 0.05 kind of on the blood alcohol index if you thought about being impaired. And the more you don't sleep, the more, the higher, you, you act more like a drunk. So no more than, no more than probably eight to 10 hours is probably the best advice. Because I, I noticed it a couple of years ago when I, when I, when we first went down to Hilton Head, we drove all the way down to, um, I can't remember where we were in Virginia, but it was almost the border in North Carolina. And normally I was good, but after 40 and I hit and I was driving for like 12, 13 hours, it, I, I felt awful. Yeah. Like I couldn't. And the next day when we had to get back on the road, I was like, all right, I can do it now. And within like two hours of driving, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, and you also you have to one of the things you also have to really watch out for is you get you do get dehydrated. You know, and you yes. don't you don't think about it when you're behind the wheel. You're like, how can I, how can I get dehydrated just sitting? 
No, you get dehydrated sitting, and people don't think about that. So, um, so to stay hydrated, um, you don't want to overeat when you're in the car either. Um, I like to say that uh, the best traveling food is grapes because they're, they're kind of they're, they're liquidy. They give you something to chew. They kind of they're a little bit filling. Uh, kind of a good kind of a good thing. And they're not they're not messy. Not trying to eat a taco while you're driving. Not it's a good idea. True, no. Or chocolate cake. Um, both tasty things, but not when you not when you're behind the wheel. So um, so you know, just kind of a good thing. But yeah, the more you push yourself, the more you're going to suffer when you finally when you finally get to where you're going to go. The, the people who drive those kind of distances. Um, it's just, it's even professional truck drivers take a break, and they take a break because they kind of have to. So, yeah. Now when we when we go there, DC is about the halfway point. So yeah. We stop. Yeah, that's uh, six eight eight hours, I guess. Yeah. Depending five traffic. Five hundred miles, maybe not that much. I guess is it? I don't know. I don't think so. Four hundred miles, maybe something. Three hundred fifty miles, something like that. So, I know when I go round trip yep. to Hilton Head, it's like I put thirteen or fourteen hundred miles on my car. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's one. It's one of those kind of things. And uh, I, I was just staring out the window. I got distracted by somebody out there, like wiping their car off. And there was a, actually a pretty good article in Consumer Reports about automatic car washes. And it talked about whether they are do they really work? First off, and should you spend the extra money for, you know, uh, uh, spray wax and tire cleaner and all that sort of stuff? And it said the reality of it is it adds a immediate appearance value, but it doesn't really last. So if you're spending, oh, I think I'll get the two bucks for the spray wax and the two dollars for the wheel and tire cleaner. Not really doing that much. And um, wheel and tire cleaner requires a special soap. So the idea that there's going to be special soap coming through the car wash to really do that, it usually just means the brushes hit the car a little bit harder in that area. It also talked about how do you know a good car wash from a bad one? And it kind of had an interesting, it was, I guess, no surprise, somebody from the Car Wash Association said, if the outside of the car wash looks good, chances are the inside of the car wash looks good. If the outside of the car wash looks like a junkyard, chances are they're not using good quality soaps, they're not keeping up with their water recycling systems. In fact, some car washes, and they're by design, is they don't completely filter the water because they want little bits of dirt in the water to sort of sandblast the dirt off the car when it's dirty. Because if they just use water, it isn't hard enough to remove the dirt. So they're hitting your car with dirt. So I guess if it was your skin, it would be exfoliated. But sort of the same, sort of the same idea. And I, I thought that was, I thought that was sort of, sort of a, when I read that, I'm like, hmm. And the other thing is if the water smells weird, it probably isn't, if it smells bad or perfumed, it probably is either one of those isn't probably a good sign. It probably means there there's some sort of a problem with uh, with their water recycling system of some sort or another. So, so uh, it does. The one the one question I had was the undercarriage wash whether they thought it was necessary, and there the Consumer Reports people said not every car wash it probably doesn't make sense to do it all the time, but a couple of times once or twice a year having the undercarriage wash especially after this time of year where you get snow and salt on the ground, probably a good idea to wash it off. My concern always was that the undercarriage wash is just that. It's high-pressure water sprayed up under the car, which could spray water where it was never really designed to go. 
So maybe if you were doing it on a real regular basis, yeah, maybe you'd get water squirted in places where it would sit and linger and cause rust over time. So like Tom Closer said earlier, people are keeping their cars longer, 11, 11 and a half. Uh, it's actually uh, overall cars and trucks are closing in on 12 years, the oldest cars have ever been on the road. So um, so some sort of interesting things there. Libby's car is 12. Yeah. My, my old Hyundai was 12 when I got rid of it. Or almost 12, 11, I guess, when I got rid of it. So, yeah, yeah, the cars, the cars are getting older. By the way, what did you ever do with that? Because isn't um, wasn't it sort of broken? Sort of. Um, we have, we're going to, Libby wants to keep it so that we can get it to Tyler. Because mm-hmm. um, he's a year and a half away from, oh, my God, he's a year and a half away from driving. How can that be? <laughs> he's, isn't he six? <laughs> oh, my goodness. How long have you been here? I mean, from the beginning. From the beginning? Yeah. Um, we moved back to Quincy in 2006. Yeah. So 2006, he was two. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I thought he was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the only problem is, do you really want to put your kid in a 14-year-old car? That's what I keep saying. Yeah. But. She's the money person, so I have to go with the money person. There you go. All right. Okay. Otherwise, we'd be broke, and I'd be. You'd have a whole. Set, you'd have. You'd have an extensive guitar collection. Um. No, I'd probably have an extensive Star Wars collectible collection. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. I guess. All right. That would yeah. all be in boxes in storage because I wouldn't have a house to put them in. <laughs> well, that's been known to known to have. At least you didn't heavily invest in Beanie Babies. This is true. Uh, which there is, I think, there's going to be a movie about. Oh, boy. Yeah. Local guy, by the way. Um, the other thing I stumbled across that I thought was actually sort of interesting. I don't know if I brought the brochure with. I was at our AAA office the other day, and um, I saw a brochure about uh, warranty products. And we sell extended warranties, in which I will readily admit I don't. When people, when I go to wherever it is, Home Depot, Best Buy, Walmart, and they say, oh, do you want to buy it? I'm like, no, no. If it's not going to last, I don't want to buy it. And that's always kind of my theory. And I don't think anything I've ever purchased, and I was kind of disappointed. The TV I had before this one didn't last very long, but it wouldn't have it would have been outside the extended warranty anyway. So it really would have, wouldn't have done anything. Um so I'm not really an extended warranty person. We started to sell them at AAA because we knew that people were getting ripped off by extended warranty companies and members were coming to us and saying, hey, do you want to, you know, we'd like to buy a warranty, but we'd like to buy it through someone we trust and we trust AAA, so we'll buy your warranty. And so because of that, I feel good about it. And the other thing is I can argue in our members' favor if somebody says, I think this should be covered by the warranty and the warranty company says, I don't think it should be. And I can say to our warranty people or finance people, you know what? I think the member's right. I think it should be covered. And they go, okay, we'll tell them and they do it. Um, But we have a product and a lot of dealers sell this product too, tire, wheel, and key insurance. And some keys in cars today, you go and buy an expensive, and not even an expensive car, the key can be five or $600. Wheel and tire insurance, you hit a pothole and bend a wheel and blow a tire, that could be $1,000 or more. Um, we sell we sell a product. And I didn't, I was embarrassed to know I didn't know it. 
And I said to the person I was talking to, Nancy, in our Rockland office, because when did it snow? Thursday, I guess? Yeah, yeah, it was Thursday. Yeah, so, and I had to be in, I had to go up to the lovely community of Groveland on Thursday. So rather than drive all the way to Providence to turn around to drive back by my house and drive to Groveland, I decided I'd just go to the Rockland AAA office because it's closer, and by the time I leave, the snow will melt. And I did that. And I was talking to Nancy, who works in our finance department. I saw this brochure, and I said, what's this? And she said, oh, it's our new key key wheel tire and paintless dent removal insurance. I said, we take dings and dents out too? And she said, yep. So I said, well, for my car, how much would it cost for my car? And she put in all the information, came up with a quote, and I think it was for five years, it was like $580, which the dealer wanted $1,500 for the same, seemed like the same product, without the paintless dent removal. In fact, they sold it separate. They had key insurance and they had wheel and tire insurance. We packaged it all together, key, wheel, wheel and tire. And I did say, well, isn't there a concern that, Dennis goes out and buys a new car, and he wants a third key. So he just calls us up and goes, hey, I lost my key. I need a new one. It's covered by insurance. Except the car companies are pretty smart, and they can disable one of the keys. So the good thing is I guess you have a key. The bad that That's a good thing. The bad thing is it doesn't work, which I guess you could get reprogrammed again to kind of cheat the system. But it is sort of interesting that, you know, they can, they have the ability to say there should be two keys for every car and we can add another key, but we have to subtract a key. Some car companies, some cars do that, some don't. But it seemed like a pretty good product. And I, like I said, I was a little embarrassed that I didn't even know about it. And uh, it, it, uh, it seems where it's adding, you know, I had one paintless dent removal dent removed on my wife's car. And the car was maybe a month and a half old. So seeing this ding right in the side of the door from shopping cart or something. And I went to a paintless dent removal place in North Providence, Rhode Island, near where I work. And it was a, um, I saw the sign in the window at a, at a place that does hand car washing, detailing, stuff like that. And I thought it was them, but they said, no, no, that's another guy. He rents some space. And I went there and... He wasn't there when I got there, but I called him up, and he showed up, and he was at a dealership around the corner. He's like, oh, I didn't think you were coming today, whatever the case is. But he was actually in this little tiny garage next to somebody's house that he was actually renting there. But in the driveway where the reconditioning shop was, a giant tractor trailer with the name of the dent removal company on the side of it. And I, and I looked at it and said, well, it looks like you got enough tools. And it was a complete mobile paint removal service and I said well what's that for and he said well we started the company here in Providence we moved it to Tennessee and he says we have a tractor trailer up here and a tractor trailer down there and we chase hailstorms so he says when there's a big hailstorm in North Carolina he said we drive up or drive down and he said we fix all the dented up cars and dealers lots and people's cars and he said so we we're basically uh can you still use this term? We're basically, uh, we're hailstorm gypsies. Is gypsy an appropriate term still? Um, sure. Sure. Okay. 
Yeah. But that and uh and he said, so, yeah, we, we go around, and he said, we, we do that. And he said, you know, around here, he says, mostly what we do is just dents and dings for used car lots. You know, you, you, our new car dealers will sell used cars, and you just want to do it. So he sets all, everything up, has my car all set up, and he uses this light that it did like a um, – looked like a zebra stripe. So they could tell, like you looked at it, and if you looked at the panel – the spaces of the light would change as the panel was deflected. So you knew it was perfectly flat when the lines of light were all equal with each other. And it was the quickest $75 I've ever spent. It's what, what they charge to do it. And he sets it all up. And literally, I think I turned my back and he was done. Actually, what I did is I walked down to the CVS to get, to get him and I a drink. And I came back and it's sitting out the car's sitting outside and all done and I'm like I'm like, Wow, that was quick. And he said, Yeah, he said it was pretty he said it wasn't too bad. And he said, With this car, he said, I didn't have to do it. I just put the window down, massaged it from the inside with a tool, popped out the dent. He said it didn't pop. He said I actually had to work it out. He said, But yeah, it only took a couple minutes to do. And and now four years later, it's still it didn't like it didn't suck back in. It still worked. It still kept going. So, good stuff. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. We need to take a break if you would like to call. Our phone lines are now open at 617-770-3030. Give us a call and uh, let's see what you're on your mind about cars. Maybe you're thinking about car shopping. Not a bad time to do that. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. And also, if you uh, were listening early before the show was on, you heard me on Joe Ligotti's show. Joe Ligotti's uh, program is Monday through Friday, four to seven. Uh, like he says, like he said to me, I just read the news. I don't make it up. And uh, we talk cars on Wednesdays between five fifteen and five thirty. So if you uh, if you're around, tune in then and find out what it's all about. And I hope you tuned in uh, last Thursday. To uh, this Thursday, whatever Thursday you tune in to uh, Truck Night in America to find out what that's all about because, uh, you know, we had those guys on and uh, that's kind of an interesting program too. I think we have. Uh, oh, Dennis is, Dennis is busy. We'll let Dennis get caught up here for a second. See what he's doing. We'll let him get caught up for a second. We'll let him do what he's going to do there. I think we have uh, Brian from Derry almost on the phone, but he's having a long conversation. So. We'll let, we'll let him figure that out. Um, I never knew about this website called GovPlanet, G-O-V Planet. And uh, they, are, uh, they sell 
They sell uh, government surplus stuff. And GovPlanet began selling Humvees and U.S. Department of Defense to the public stuff. And now they have uh, there's going to be a new vehicle called the Growler, which uh, you'll be able to buy at an auction. It's a 4x4 Jeep-style vehicle with the Navistar 2.8 diesel engine and 132 horsepower. It's about 13 feet long, 5 feet wide, 6 feet high. It was de- developed by the American Growler Company in 99, and you can buy them. You can also buy a 6x6 7-ton cargo truck with a cat diesel in it. If you really want a 26-foot-long, 8-foot-wide, 11.5-foot-high truck. Uh, but I was on their website. They actually have some pretty interesting stuff. Um, but it's called GovPlanet. And uh, I'm going to try to get somebody on the show. It's uh, um, G-O-V-P-L-A-N-E-T uh, dot com. So GovPlanet.com. See what they have there. There's some pretty interesting stuff. It's an uh, uh, auction company called Ritchie Brothers that are doing it. So, Do we still have Brian? Yeah. All right. Let's go to Brian. Brian, good morning. Morning, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? Fine, thank you. Did you see that Consumer Reports uh, that lowered the uh, overall score, that Model 3 Tesla vehicle? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? That's unbelievable. Well, there's something about the stopping distance as well. Uh, <sighs> overall, yeah. So they update the software on the stopping distance? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, they, they fix brakes with software now. I know it. I yeah. know it. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I remember years ago when the, the cars uh, all had four-wheel well, brakes with drum, uh, and they were riveted or bonded brake lines. Then they went to the, um, then they went to the brake, uh, two, two front brakes went uh, with the uh, disc, and then before you know it, all four wheels disc, and it cost you more money. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because um, – Younger younger mechanics, technicians today, they're so used to doing disc brakes, that's all they do. If they got a, if they got a car in with four-wheel drum brakes, they might not have ever seen it before. And they they look at it and go, Well, what brake shoe goes where? And how do what holds these what how do you get these springs off? Yeah, where did this dinosaur come in? Yeah, from? yeah, because it's just <laughs> um and I, I, I remember and this was Twenty years ago, I remember somebody uh, who was a very capable uh, kind of do-it-yourselfer, and he's like, uh, "Can you come over and do the rear brakes on my Camaro because I can't figure out how to put them back together?" Oh God! Yeah, that's incredible. Well, yeah. you know, and I think I think when um, when my coworker from upstate New York was on the program, and him and I talked about uh, setting points on a car, and uh, you know, it's only people with no hair and gray hair that know how to do that. That's true. That's very true. Now, that, that years ago, they had to bleed the system on them drum brakes, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you have to bleed the system on any any hydraulic system when you when you open it up. But and even with uh, fancy electronic controls, um, the electronic control system can anticipate how much extra pressure it needs. But it's still all hydraulic. So if you took a if you took a caliper off a Tesla and put it back on again, you still have to you still have to bleed the brake system. So there's no there's no real difference there. But it it is interesting that um, you know a disc brake 
caliper might have two bolts and the pads just slide in and click into place. And the old style drum brakes uh, had had pins and springs and uh, adjusters, and you had to you had to adjust them. And if you didn't adjust them evenly, the brakes were going to pull. And uh, then they went to then they went to self adjusters, which uh, people put in backwards, and the left one went on the right, and one wheel would adjust tight, and one wheel would adjust off, and you know the car would you jam on the brakes, and the car would pull to one side. And uh, but somebody who grew up with that would go, I don't understand. It's it's easy, and the and the brake adjuster says when you take it apart, it says left and right, and the springs are easy to put on, and you know. But it's technology. The same the same old timer that uh, could do that that in a sleep if you had to tell them you needed a laptop to check for computer codes would maybe feel a little little confused that's true very true john i got another quick question for you this uh, takata airbags are they the only manufacturer that make airbags because every car now even these expensive cars like maseratis and ferraris and lamborghinis they're all getting recalled too yeah, they're, they're not the only one but they were certainly the largest one um my uh the two cars in my family, uh, which is a, a Hyundai and a Volkswagen, uh, although I will say both of them are, have open recalls right now. My wife's car has some kind of mystery recall about uh, a possible check engine light. My car has a recall about a knock sensor. and uh, But neither of them are subject to airbag recalls because neither of them used, neither of them used Takata airbags. Geez, I thought that was the only manufacturer no, because that's no, all they used to say. Yeah, the Carter airbag. Yeah, yeah, they they made them for they made them for just about everybody, and uh, whether it was uh, you know whether it was uh, Cadillac and Buick or uh, or you know Toyota and you know Acura, but uh, um, no, they there there are other companies. There just none of them are as big as uh, as uh, Takata was though, and I think Takata either went bankrupt and sold part of the business off. I'm not really, I, but they're still out there. And it's kind of, it's kind of the interesting thing too, was uh, in a lot of cases, the Takata airbag got replaced with the same Takata airbag. So, so, so what happened, so what happened, what's going to happen is in 10 years, if the car is still on the road, the airbag's going to have to be recalled again because they figure at that point, and airbags, airbags, you know, I've, I've had the question before, how long does an airbag last? Originally, they thought they were only going to last 10 years, and now they're like, no, they're, you know, there's no reason to think about replacing it when it gets older, but these ones, the, the Takata ones that were affected by moisture, and that's what made them go bad, um, some of those, some of those, they they didn't, they didn't put anything any different in. They were the same one they put back in, but they just figured we we have them. We'll put them in, and you know, in uh, in you know your 2007 Honda Accord. In now it's you know 2019 where we will replace the airbag, and in 2029 the car will probably be in a junkyard somewhere anyway. So who cares? Yeah. So, yeah. And the other thing, once that the, once that uh, airbag is deployed, John, is that true? The windshield cracks going across. De- depends. Depends on it where. Depends how it's made. If it's made into the steering wheel, uh, the airbag the airbag deploys kind of straight towards the driver. If it's a top loader airbag that's in the passenger side, that is that literally comes out of like on top of the glove compartment. It uses the windshield as a. Uh, as almost like a wall for the airbag to come forward to the um, to the passenger. 
So they actually they actually figure that when the airbag on the passenger side deploys on that style, that the the windshield's going to need to be replaced because the windshield's actually part of the crash system with the car. Um, other ones, they they actually pop out right from the beginning. They deploy right from the front of the uh, front of the dash, so they don't incorporate using the using the windshield. But chances are, you know, whatever you hit, it might have broke the windshield anyway. So. Yeah, and that Kia and Hyundai, that's the same family, right? Yeah, uh, Hyundai owns 38% of Kia, which is why a lot of their cars look similar. You know, you go out and you buy a, um, and even even the luxury cars, you go out and you buy a Kia Stinger, which is a fantastic car, um, but it looks a lot like the new Genesis, which is the premium line of, of Hyundai. It's got a lot of the technology in it. Same thing, same thing with uh uh, if you go out and buy a Hyundai Sonata, it looks an awful lot like a Kia Optima because there are similar. They consider themselves competitors with each other, but the reality, yeah. but the reality is that they're uh, they're they're pretty similar. That was like years ago, Ford and Lincoln Mercury. You paid ten thousand dollars right off the bat for the Lincoln Mercury name. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean there there are those people, and I remember way back when people would only buy a Mercury because they figured it was a better quality Ford. Um, there was probably a time that it was. I mean, the same thing. There was a there was a joke way back when about GMC versus Chevrolet trucks, and it said, "Oh yeah, in the GMC model they used lock washers on all the nuts and bolts, where in the Chevy they didn't." Um, but you know, was there any real difference? Not really. No, nine years ago I yeah. had a Ford Taurus. I, I waited for the bugs to high and out. That's where it was brought up. Yeah. Wait a year. Yeah. There's any problems? Then you go buy it. When yeah. I bought no, it, I no. wanted the sky blue when I ended up with the battleship gray. But the battleship gray looked bigger than than any other color they made. Yep. No. And that had ten thousand dollars worth. That had more technology in that Ford Taurus show than those Lincoln Continentals, and you paid ten thousand dollars more with less with less of electronic stuff in there. Yep. Hey Brian, thanks for the call. Thank you very All much, right. John. Hey, Take you know what uh, Fiat state stands for, John? Uh, fix it again, Tony. You got it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Have a nice weekend, John. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Take bye. care. Thanks, John. Bye. All right. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. You had a long conversation on the phone earlier. Um, no, that was, oh. that was never else. mind. But yeah. I do have an off-air question. Uh, well, a, a text came to me. Do you have any advice for a 20-year-old looking to buy his first car? Still needs to build some credit, but perhaps what to expect for a down payment, things to look at and ask. Wow. Um, first off, try to do it without a cosigner because that's an awful lot of obligation that you, you know, parents, brothers, sisters, uncles, whoever it is, if you can do it on your own, all the better. Stay away from... Um, Buy here, uh, pay here, kind of, mostly. Um, just sometimes what you're doing is you're buying a car that is, we'll pick a number, a $1,500 car that has a price tag on it of $4,500. And because they're taking the the chance on your credit and they're saying, well, come in every week and pay us $50 till the car's paid off, um, the car's probably only worth, half of what you're paying for it and they're kind of they're not necessarily taking advantage of your lack of credit but that's how they make their money so i would stay away from that um i would look at trying to establish credit ahead of time a credit card will help 
Um, things like cell phone bills don't do anything to help your credit. They only hurt your credit. So if you have if you have been late on your cell phone payments sometime, a couple of times, it can hurt your credit rating. If you're on time with your cell phone payments, it doesn't do anything for your credit rating. So, And a credit card, just a plain old standalone credit card will. Uh, that can help. Um, so having some established credit is not a bad idea. Uh, when it comes to buying a car, don't, don't buy with your... Don't don't buy with your uh, uh, heart. Uh, buy with your head, because uh, what can happen? What can happen is sometimes you get all excited about a particular kind of car. I want to. I'm 20 years old. I want to go out and buy a new Mustang, or I want to go out and buy a new Jeep. And you find out that uh, maybe you can even afford to bo- go buy those cars, but then you become so car broke that it doesn't. It doesn't really make sense to own that car and not be able to do anything else in life. Uh, I would also look at when you're financing, look at different options, Uh, trying to put down as much of a down payment as possible. Um, But also don't plan on don't plan on buying the the most expensive car out there. Um, You know, as you're you know, as you're trying to establish credit, as you're trying to establish your life. The worst thing you want to do is um, have a car where you're where you're trying to you're trying to pay for other things in your life, and especially if you're 20 years old and all of a sudden you're looking at student debt. So maybe a really good used car, something like a Toyota Camry or a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Accord or or something that has a really good dependability rating that's a few years old, that's not particularly flashy. That might be those might be good choices in cars. Our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's go to Art and Mattapoisett. Arthur. Yes. Yes, sir. John. Yes. I want to talk to you about um, washing your undercarriage. You you were commenting on that earlier. Uh, you're talking about more my car, right? Not my, not my, uh, not my personal undercarriage. <laughs> okay, you you <laughs> caught me off guard there, man. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, automotive. So, um, with respect to that, I had an old Sobs. We still have it. Yep. And it's a 95, 900. It's a GM product. Mm-hmm. And I was very religious about washing the undercarriage. Get all the mung and the and the salt and the yuck out of there. Mm-hmm. And ended up happening is uh, got some water through the, the um, cabin uh, uh, egress. What would okay. you call that? The, the, ex- the exit. Yep. Yep. So, there's... there's there's a bunch of flap work that's in the right rear um, quarter panel area up under the fender in the yep. wheel well, mm-hmm. behind, the, behind the wheel well. And the salty water, every year I did this, got pooled up inside the trunk, the hatch cavity, okay. and rusted a hole right through, right through the floor in the back next to the spare tire. Mm. Yeah, so that, do, that and Sobs also have some problems where the front subframe is also an area that on some of the... Some of the nine the threes, yeah, would actually collect salt and water up there and have sort of the same problem happen. Yeah, well, I was going to recommend to your to your listeners that you you do need to wash your undercarriage to get all that yuck out of there because yep. it'll just collect anyway. Yeah, I mean, if it's it's a, it's your damned if you do, your damned if you don't. If you leave it there, you're going to have problems. Yep. And if you use too much water in the wrong place, you're going to have problems in a different area. Yeah. No, so that's I, why I would just recommend it. Yeah, that's why I really like to, um, when possible kind of like crawl under the car with a hose 
And, you know, that way you're not having, you're not putting, um, you know, 1,800 yeah, pounds of water pressure. That's anybody's going to do that. Yeah, I know. But that's, because you, you, that's, all that stuff's going to be falling down in your face. Yeah, I know. But that's, 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 that really is ideally the best way, though, because you're actually washing it off. You can kind of, kind of see what you're doing, but uh, you can sort of look at it. But, you, but yeah, an undercarriage wash periodically gets that accumulated muck and gunk that really traps cars. I was with one of our automotive engineers, AAA automotive engineers, and we were at the uh, Detroit Auto Show a couple years ago. And, of course, in Detroit, they have cars up on sort of display stands so you can walk around under them. And I, I saw him taking all these obscure pictures, and I'm like, what are you taking pictures of? And he's like, all the places where water and salt and, and dirt can collect and cause rot. And he said, look at this. And we walked, we, we walked under a new Corvette, and he said, this is going to, even though Corvette panels are all made out of plastic, uh, fiberglass, he said, you know, over time, depending on where the car is driven, it's going to rot here, it's going to rot here, and it's going to rot here. He says, I guarantee it, because the way they made the car aerodynamic underneath and makes makes it so it's, it's nice and smooth and doesn't have air disturbances underneath it is also fantastic yep. places to collect uh, mud, salt, and dirt. I was going to mention that, that a lot of cars are completely encapsulated underneath. If not, if not, yeah, like it's not completely, certainly partially, with with lots of plastic undercladding to try to improve aerodynamics and and uh, air noises going past things to yep. try to quiet down the cabin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would recommend to your, to your listeners that they they find out where their 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 cabin ventilation egress is and uh, avoid that area when you're uh, or check it at least after you've after you've given yourself a good. Uh, a good belly wash. Yeah, yeah, it's always a, it's always a good idea too, and people people forget about it. But um, it's always a good idea to pop open the trunk and look at all those little cavities that are kind of hidden around in the trunk, and feel around down there. Is there water collected down there? Is yeah. there a drain plug that you can pull out that that uh, lets water drain out? Um, yeah, your car your car is literally. Um, in a rainstorm, has water running in one end and out the other, and if it doesn't come out the other, it has, it has to go people somewhere. Don't think about it. I, yeah, I'm a car. I'm a car geek. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, and I, I found it one day when I was pulling the pulling the. Uh, there was some moisture in the trunk, and I pulled the uh, the fabric away. The uh, yeah. what are you going to call that paneling in there? Yeah. And that's no simple thing. That's no simple thing at all. That stuff is tough to move. And uh, found I found a freaking hole the size of my fist. Yep. 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 No, that, that can happen. Hey, thanks for the tip. Okay. Thanks All right. for the conversation. All right. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. Dennis says it's time to take a break, so I will. You're listening to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or maybe you're even listening on 100.3 FM. We'll be right back. Fifty-five. 
And welcome back to the Car Doctor program. I was just waiting for a car reference in the song. That's all. It just took a little while. So I got a I got a text from a neighbor who said, uh, who says, I don't think I've ever seen you eat a grape, beef jerky maybe. I just I, you've never driven with me on a uh, on a long drive where I will eat grapes and beef jerky as well. Uh, down in Cape Cod, there's actually a beef jerky store, beef jerky outlet um, that sells. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of jerky, including uh, things like uh, lollipops with like crazy insects embedded in them, which I guess people do for challenge purposes or something. I have no idea what they're doing. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty is our number. There was a pretty interesting article in Automotive News that says other industries raid dealerships for talented shop veterans. New vehicle dealers have uh, heard numerous alarms in recent years about the face of uh, technician shortages as baby boomers retire and fewer would-be techs enroll in training programs. The shortage may get worse. Other other businesses are learning that automotive technicians can do a lot of other stuff because they're trained in a lot of different areas. The shortage could become even more acute. Diesel technicians dissatisfied with compensation or work environment may find greener pastures in other fields. Moreover, as auto technicians acquire skills to work on advanced driver assistance systems, electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, they became more valuable. So as cars got more talent, as cars got more complicated technicians got more talented all of a sudden now they're going to work in electronics companies to do electromechanical stuff so kind of interesting let's talk to uh david needham good morning good morning <laughs> i guess we're going to hit each other on all the, right uh, speech. yeah some, something like that sure <laughs> um i noticed you're talking again about this takata uh system what differentiates that from the earlier days? How long have they had the airbags? Since the 80s, haven't they? Uh, yeah, they had... Uh, let's and you, say. you never heard. I heard them. They were experimenting. GM was in the mid-'70s, but they didn't offer it on every car. Yeah, I, rem- just I remember the first... Some woman. The, the first airbag that I remember seeing was in a Cadillac, and I'm trying to think where i where i was in my life it was probably it was probably in the late 70s and what right. was sort of interesting about the car was um it didn't have seat belts it only had airbags they took really? the, yeah. they took the seat belts out because they said be yeah, <laughs> yeah they said yeah until the door opened up and you fell out that's right. Until you flew out, you don't yeah, just fall yeah, out. Yeah. So, so it's like, oh, geez, maybe we should have put the we should have left the uh, the uh, seatbelts in there. Um, right. And the airbag was enormous. It was this. Uh, it was this giant. It looked like a, a a giant folded. Well, not folded. It looked like a giant uh, vinyl cushion that sat on top of the steering wheel, and it was this really yeah. big looking thing. And right. uh, 
Uh, because I remember I, I worked as a, as an alignment tech back then. I remember getting in the car going, "What the hell is that thing?" And and it was uh, and it was yeah, it was a it was a uh, it was like a sausage type of deal, wasn't it? On top of the dash, um, yeah, yeah, it was. But but the difference the difference is the um, the propellant that's used back then Correct. versus now, and also you know one of the things is the um, the the way airbags are designed. Uh, to deploy, they still the United States still requires that airbags protect passengers that are not belted, and they're also designed to protect sort of the um, the the ninety percent percentile male. So, like the hundred and ninety pound, five foot ten inch person is what they're designed to protect. So they right. have to deploy at a certain speed. And as they've been making, you know, going from an airbag that was the size of, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, um, you know, Webster's Dictionary to something that, you know, fits in the palm of your hand kind of thing. They had to have a uh, propellant that could work. They had to have material that could fold up on top of it. And uh, also the outside casing of it has to be designed to, to, to break open without, you know, putting pieces into it. But, yeah, as as a, you know, the problem with the Takata airbags is the moisture causes the, the propellant. Degradation. To, yeah, yeah, and that, and that causes the, the plastic, the holder that holds the airbag in place to deteriorate. So the propellant still kind of works, but as it leaked out, it caused the plastic to deteriorate. And then when it finally deploys, the whole thing just falls off its perch and it it, yeah and i have deployed a couple airbags before like for demonstration purposes they're pretty it's pretty exciting to watch them take off (laughs) not if you're sitting on the other end of it with metal or fragments coming at your eyes yeah no no so i i don't understand you know it's like everything else in this country we uh deal with the fact after the fact so to speak Instead of correcting it right then and there, yeah, I something mean, it, else. It, it's There's the same thing. Be enough technology yep. that they can get something that's uh, sufficient without doing this problem. How many have they recalled already? It's like oh, hundreds uh, of millions, it, it's isn't never, it? There, there's never been as big a recall as this, and and right. that's sort of, and that's sort of the other thing is it's um, you look at you look at what you know you you just made a really good point. You look at cars like Tesla that put out their self-driving technology on cars with the idea that they they put they called it something they actually have a term for it they called it shadow mode where yeah. um, they knew they put it out with problems and they said uh-huh. well we'll you know we have it in shadow mode so we can constantly check on it and we know when it doesn't work um, n- not when it doesn't work and we run into somebody but when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to and we can we're actually letting people be the test engineers for it they just don't they just don't know it yet the experimental animal as yeah, say, right? yeah exactly exactly, yeah. exactly. And but, that's, but at this point they should know something more come on it's just you're becoming ridiculous in chemistry there's got to be something else that's a relative of it that'll do everything that they want they don't want to spend the money it had to be something as far as money was concerned oh, well thing. i mean isn't isn't money the root of all the answers no, it seems to be. I mean, yeah. that's what I would say on this. And why did they change the formula? I remember hearing the story and the woman that had a <clears throat> mid-70s uh, GM product when they were experimenting, you know, yep. putting them in the car, not unknown to most people in a sense, I guess. And she had it 20 years later. It saved her uh, fanny, as we'd say. Yep. <laughs> no, no, I... I... It was 
you know, she got in an accident and didn't even know she had it there, and she was damn lucky, you know? Yeah, well, I, I actually met a woman down the Cape who has been in two crashes where airbags deployed, and she was one of those people that was in one of the first cars with an airbag, and yeah. uh, and, and and she, uh, I, I well, one thing I learned was don't ever ride with her because, you know. <laughs> because the wrong driver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever notice how many things, speaking of that, how many, uh, I don't think we ever had the number of uh, reporting them better anyway, people driving in through houses and things like that today. It's their stupid appendage in their hand or somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, they're driving. Yeah, I mean it's, a common, it's a combination of things, certainly. Uh, I mean, drivers on the road have never been as old as they have been. You know, that's one of the things. There's yeah, never been as too. many people. There's never been as many people on the road as there have been. There's never been as yeah. many cars on the road as there have been. And and it's also, to some extent, sensational reporting that I, I remember there was a woman, and this is the quote from the paper. It was uh, it was a Metro West Daily News, and it said, an, an, older, an older driver runs into CVS. Into a CVS right. store, and I called up the reporter at the at the Metro West Daily News, and I said I just had a couple questions because at the time Toyotas were having a lot of issues with unattended acceleration, and yeah. I said to him, I said to her, how old was the woman who was driving the car? And she said, well, she was fifty three. Yeah. And I said, fifty three is older, huh? Jake, yeah, so <laughs> that should be within some realm of reality, right? Yeah, so so just the idea, you know, the, and the reporter was probably twenty three, which is probably yeah, the reason. Yeah, so the whole relative, and, yeah, so, say, mostly so, the Earth. Yeah, yeah, so but I mean, there's also, I mean, in uh, down on the South Shore years ago, there was a woman uh, who was under some sort of uh, she had some sort of medical problem and medication issues, and she literally drove through the emergency room doors at Brockton Hospital and killed her physician who happened to be walking oh. by so yeah. you know there's all kinds of reasons you know there's medication there's uh medication that people shouldn't be taking and there's just you know we just hear more about it so and again some of yeah. it seems some of it just seems to be the crowd on the road hey david we got to get going yep we'll have a good weekend you Thanks. as well uh, talk to you later all right take care bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. We have a uh, road traveler, Paul Sullivan. Oh, you forgot the other thing. There's more buildings now. <laughs> well, the people, yeah, more cars. Yeah, more. yeah. Back, yeah, yeah. Back when, back when you were growing up, there was just cornfields. People I, drove I couldn't into. see yeah. a building until I walked for at least one, two, three miles. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is some, there is some truth to that. There's more, there's more building. But I, I think, uh, you know, the population in general, as you know, more people, more, more older people are driving, which is good because all the studies show the longer you drive, the longer you live. Good. You know, yeah. the thing about it, I was listening earlier in the show, and you're talking about um, traveling long distances, mm -hmm. and uh, we just uh, pulled back. We went down for a couple of days down to the district to see the kids. And we were driving back yesterday, so that's aren't, about. Aren't, aren't you? Aren't, aren't you like a? a, a it's like, vacation. School yeah, but, vacation. Yeah, but you know, I drove down to the district. Well, I didn't. Yeah, but you know, just the way you described oh, the well, district. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Yeah. Look at back of my hand. But anyway, yeah. uh, and you were saying a good, um, a good snack because of the hydration and the nutrition and the juiciness and the crunchiness was grapes. Yeah. But I guess what I had taco and chocolate cake. Did you? So you went with the taco and chocolate taco cake. Taco and chocolate yeah. cake. No, I didn't. Yeah. But that. Yeah. I've How long does it take you that. to drive down to the district? Claire drives. I don't. She doesn't. <laughs> she can't stand it when I drive, so I don't. So um, we left. Um, they're they're right side right outside of the district. They're in uh, Northern Virginia. We left there at about quarter nine. We stopped right outside New York City at about 
one ish for for lunch and stretching, and we were home by four thirty. So. Yeah. So it's a good it's about seven and a half to eight hours. Yeah. So, yeah. but but they included an hour hour for lunch. And, no, we didn't take an hour, oh. but um, half hour maybe. Half yeah. hour, yeah. 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 So, and we stopped for gas too because yeah. we don't have that five hundred mile range like the Avalon does. Yeah, but you have a a fuel efficient Honda CRV. Well, and you buy gas in New Jersey because it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> they, they and they, and they put Jersey. and they put it in for you. Yeah, yes. they don't. They, they it's illegal to pump your own gas in Jersey, apparently. Yeah, I, I've. And there are yeah. all Sunocos on the Pike. Oh, See, I didn't even yeah, notice that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's. I did notice they're all Burger Kings, but I didn't yeah. notice they were all Sonoma. Because yeah, you were more interested in <laughs> Burger King than apparently what brand of gas to use. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's like the little town of Holbrook, not far from here. It's all full serve. Yeah. And then, oh, and, really? I have to yeah. send my wife down there because yeah, she's yeah. getting to the point where she doesn't want people uh, to pump her own gas anymore. She wants people to do it. For I, her. I will. My wife never pumped her own gas. My sister ever, never did. Ever, ever, never did. And. Um, She's like, I just don't want to. And and most times she found a gas station that was actually probably cheaper than I was going to yeah. pump it myself. My sister always but, did, too. I think but, she still does. But she was at... Hey, I can hear the piano. Yeah. I get phones at work. <laughs> That's great. And she was at the stop and shop she used to work with. And a woman she used to work with who came back to work in her 80s said to her... What's wrong with you? Go pump your own gas. So she, <laughs> she a nickel so, a gallon. So she literally, the eighty-five-year-old woman took my wife out to the gas pump to show her how to do it, <laughs> and which I offered to do many times. But and since then, she has become a no. So they she, don't want to get the gasoline yeah, residue yeah, on yeah, their hand. I, I don't think. I, don't, I, I think it was just one more thing to do when she didn't get want out to of do the it, car. But, but yeah. yeah. So uh, so this nice this nice older lady said, "What's wrong with you? That's full serve takes advantage of people." <laughs> which I thought was funny. Hey, the Piano Man means... What's it mean? It means it's the very best in Irish music with Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade coming up next. And uh, next week, if all things go the way they're supposed to, <laughs> uh, I will be broadcasting live from the AAA Travel Marketplace at Gillette Stadium. Um, no controversy there. <laughs> no. But but travel marketplace next next week uh, I'll be there just just at the start of the show so uh, come on by stop in I'll I'll be somewhere put my stuff away get ready to leave but if you're at the travel marketplace stop on by and if you want tickets uh, email me till next week drive safe wear your seatbelt be good to your car talk to you all next week bye bye. <laughs>